Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Into the Borough podcast here on the Borough Reviews Network. My name is Jared, and today we have got a great show for you. We have got a few exciting news pieces to cover, such as the Final Destination 6 directors and how they got the job, Hugh Jackman returning as Wolverine, the runtime, the official runtime of Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and then we also are going to talk some James Earl Jones news that dropped last week that is really heartfelt, so stay tuned for all of that later in the show. We are going to be sitting down with Megan Hancock again. Megan is now one of our regular podcast contributors, so you'll be seeing her a lot more. We have a full discussion on Cyberpunk Edge Runners, the new Netflix show uh, that debuted in the last week and has brought players flooding back to Cyberpunk 2077 and the world that Mike Pondsmith and the team at CD Projekt Red has created. And we have a great discussion on that. And the actual like content of that discussion is so... It means a lot to me that I'm able to sit down with the people closest to me and I'm able to talk about the things that I love. I And you can you can see that in that particular segment. So I can't wait for you to experience that. And then finally, we're going to be breaking down the box office projection from last week from Don't Worry Darling. And then we're also going to talk about Bros, Billy Eichner's new movie. You know, we saw a lot of this footage at CinemaCon this last year. And I must say that uh, as someone who liked Billy Eichner before. This movie seems like it's going to be pretty impressive. And from what I've seen, it's funny as hell. And that's all anyone can ask for in a movie like that. So without further ado, I'm sure you're wanting to dive into that news. Let's get into it. If you would like to support our show, consider joining the crew by subscribing to our Patreon. Every dollar counts towards commission for our contributors and improving our network. Membership to our Patreon grants you different perks, depending on what part of the crew you opt into. If you're someone who likes behind-the-scenes content, our director's crew has access to a close friends group on Instagram, as well as a Discord server and, of course, Twitter circles. Meanwhile, the producer crew is gifted discounted merch codes and exclusive video discussions, reviews, and vlogs. For executive producers that go above and beyond, we send a little special care package their way as a way to say thanks. Whether you're looking to gain early access to video content or listen to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, Close Up with the Borough Reviews, you can find it all on our Patreon page. Membership is a critical metric that we use to indicate the success of our network, and we know that we can count on you for some support. Head over to patreon.com slash theboroughreviews to sign up. The Borough Reviews, your movie refuge. In this news segment, we're going to start off with the box office projection, and that is for Don't Worry Darling and Bros releasing this week. Warner Bros' historical psychological thriller Don't Worry Darling debuted in first place over last weekend with $19.2 That's about in line with pre-release projection, if slightly on the lower end, with some projections closer to $22 million. So for those of you that were closer to that $20 million mark, you are the winners for this week. 
The forecast right now for Billy Eichner's Bros comes in at about 10 to 15 million, and then for Smile also releasing this week, it's about 15 to 20 million domestically for the three-day high and low range. But you, the audience, let us know what you thought Bros would do this weekend at the box office. 28% of you said 10 million, and 28% of you said 15 million on Twitter. And then a whopping 42.9% on Twitter said all the money, which we all know is the correct answer. Billy Eichner's bros deserves all the money in the world, and it's going to make it all. And over on Patreon, 100% of the viewers said all the money again, and that's the correct answer. Our headlines this week come from Variety, Deadline, and The Hollywood Reporter. Hugh Jackman will be back as Wolverine in Deadpool 3, Ryan Reynolds announced on his social media Tuesday afternoon. Deadpool 3 also has an official release date of September 6, 2024. In his video, Reynolds explains that they did, in fact, miss D23, but they've been working very hard on the next Deadpool film for a good long while. And in classic Deadpool fashion, the video ends with Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You, subtitled as I Will Always Love Hugh. And the Marvel news keeps turning as Blade loses its director, Basim Tariq. Blade, which has a release date of November 3rd, 2023, was gearing up to begin shooting in November in Atlanta. It is unclear how Tariq's departure will impact the production start of the vampire action thriller, which has Oscar winner Mahershala Ali attached to the role. Marvel's official statement read, quote, Due to continued shifts in our production schedule, Bassam is no longer moving forward as director of Blade, but will remain as an executive producer on the film. And finally, in the slew of big Marvel news this week, Black Panther Wakanda Forever joins Pantheon of Long Superhero Picks at 2 hours and 41 minutes. The sequel would be the second longest title in MCU history behind Avengers Endgame, but it's notably shorter than DC's 2022 The Batman, which ran nearly three hours. The running time for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which hits theaters November 11th, was spotted by The Direct when the time popped up on websites for Cineplex and Regal Cinemas. A movie's runtime is typically revealed when receiving a rating. Zach Lepofsky and Adam B. Stein, the filmmaking team known for their 2018 science fiction thriller Freaks, have nabbed the conveted gig of directing Final Destination 6, the relaunch of New Line Cinema's horror franchise. Plot details are being kept under lock and key, but the core concept remains. A character has a premonition of a horrific and deadly event, cheats his or her own death, and saves several other lives in the process, only to have death as a personified but unstoppable force come for the survivors one by one. The duo made their pitch to New Line execs and producers together with a burning fireplace behind them, and as they wrapped up the meeting, the fire came alive and the mantle began burning. The filmmakers stopped and, after a tense moment, quickly extinguished the flames. But as they sat down, a wrenching creak was heard, and suddenly, the whizzing ceiling fan broke off and flew down, decapitating one of the filmmakers. The execs and producers went from concern to all-out laughter. The bit, using a combination of pre-recorded footage and visual effects, had transitioned seamlessly and showed their unabashed enthusiasm for the project. It was, to all involved, the cherry on top. 
And finally, James Earl Jones signs over the rights to voice of Darth Vader, signaling retirement from legendary role. James Earl Jones, one of the most distinctive voices in the history of film, appears to have made steps to step back from voicing the Star Wars character Darth Vader after nearly 40 years in the role. Vanity Fair reports the actor, aged 91, has signed over the rights to his voice to filmmakers using the new AI technology. Matthew Wood of Lucasfilm told the magazine that the actor, quote, wished to keep Vader alive. Jones made his debut as the legendary Star Wars villain in the 1977 film, and followed this up with voicing the same character throughout the franchise up to this point, on both the big and small screen. He most recently starred as the character for the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series on Disney+. Other stars from the franchise have made a return to the franchise in recent years. Ewan McGregor, Hayden Christensen, and Mark Hamill have all reprised their characters, much to the delight of fans, but it seems one of the most distinctive actors of all is finally signing off. And that concludes this week's news update. Hey, we have our own YouTube channel. That's where we upload video reviews of the latest TV shows and movies, stream some gaming content on occasion, and just recently we've started doing in-depth video essay analysis. We have a goal to reach 400 subscribers by the end of the year, and right now we are about 300 subs away from reaching that goal. We'd like to celebrate by doing something special for our followers if we reach our goal, and we'll rely on you to help us decide what we end up doing. To find us, simply go to youtube.com slash Reviews. Make sure to not only subscribe if you like the content, but to give the video a like and ring the bell to make sure you receive notifications when we upload or go live. The Burr Reviews, your movie refuge. Megan is here joining me to review Cyberpunk Edge Runners, equipped with a mic and a dream this time. Uh, Megan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Jared? I'm doing great. You know, it's been kind of a chaotic week with the amount of stuff that is just dropping news-wise. And then also, like, I guess personally for me, it just feels like a lot's crammed into this week. So I'm kind of just coexisting, you know, along with the rest of the world this week, uh, tr trying to get through every day, take it one step at a time. Um, I'm excited to talk about this show with you, uh, real quick, I guess, because we haven't really talked about it before. What is your familiarity with like the property of cyberpunk? Um, well, I know it by proxy for sure. Like, I mean, from CG project red, they're one of my favorite, um, video game producers simply because I was a huge fan of the Witcher three. It was one of my first, uh, best all time favorite video games. Um, so I knew about it and I almost bought the pre-release. Um, but then when it came out, obviously there was so many different things that went wrong. It was a bit of a dumpster fire. So I kind of held back. Um, I was really excited, um, to see when the show came out and yeah, I've, I've nearly finished season one of, um, edge runners. So have some thoughts on it. Really liked it. And for those of you who don't know, uh, cyberpunk edge runners is on, uh, Netflix. So it's based on CD project reds, uh, video game of the same name, cyberpunk, uh, 2077, which I played a little bit. Um, I did get the, the pre-release. I did pre-order it. 
not me, but actually Ren pre-ordered it for me for a graduation gift. And when it came out, I was so disappointed. Now, I wasn't getting nearly as many bugs as everyone else right when the game released. However, what was occurring to me, though, is just noticing all the different things that people were talking about. I obviously had my PC version, but I had friends that were playing it on console. And my God, the clips that they were showing me, it was just, it was honestly a disastrous launch. And The Witcher 3 came out kind of in the same fashion. It felt a little rushed, and it really took it some time to really, uh, to breathe and, and let everything kind of, you know, form into what the original vision was. And I feel like, that very much happened with this particular game. And so for me, I was excited to dive into the world. You know, I kept leading up to the release, that first official E3 like teaser trailer that they had put together. I had watched that so many times um, and I was just so excited about it. There's something about sci-fi for me that I just, I'm fascinated by, you know, whether you're talking about Blade Runner and then, you know, in, in the same front of that, you know, something like, um, something a little bit more like, property heavy like fandom heavy like star wars anything like that star trek even like i'm i'm fascinated by kind of what the future can be um or in that case you know the past with star wars obviously but the the point still stands that science fiction can do things that the other drama you know like the other genres can like dramas you're talking about you're talking about a whole whirlwind of things that sci-fi can fit into. And yeah, while it's technically genre filmmaking, at the end of the day, you look at something like Blade Runner 2049 and it tells such a deep human story at the at the end of it. And um, and throughout that process, it's very different. But at the same at the same time, there's a lot of connect like connectivity and connective tissue that you can find throughout all of science fiction. And Cyberpunk, when you're talking about a video game, when you have literally hours upon hours, you know, sometimes 20 to 50 hours of playthrough, uh, you really get invested in things. And to kind of tie it back into the show, I feel like this show, uh, when I first saw the runtime of the episode standing right at about like 20 minutes between 20 and 25, uh, I was a little concerned that we wouldn't have enough time to like really let the, the story unfold in a natural progression. And that was one of my concerns uh, but you know, I'll just say it right off the bat. I really like this show. Uh, I don't quite love it. At, like how some people are talking about it. Um, you know, I've heard some of my favorite reviewers say that it was like one of the greatest animes and I've watched, I've watched a lot of anime and I don't think that, however, with what they had, I do think it was really good. So I guess what are your thoughts overall on the show? Um, I'm not my anime repertoire personally is not super extensive. I have seen a fair amount of like Netflix original anime. Like I watched Blood of Zeus, um, which is a little bit more lacking as far as story goes, I would say, but like still fucking gorgeous. I think something that they continuously nail right on the head is just like very unique art styles for each one. And so they're just like absolutely breathtaking um, frames of animation that I personally just absolutely love. Um, I I have to say, like, it's so interesting that sci-fi, like, speaks to you more. And I I do appreciate the fact that it's, like, a it's a setting where you think things, like, we assume that the future will always be better than the present. And it's such an interesting, like, realm for satire, which I think that Edgerunners tries to touch on for certain things, at least with, like, classism and stuff like that. But I personally 
like um, Castlevania probably a little bit more and like the dark fantasy stuff appeals to me a little bit. It draws me in from a world building perspective a little bit more. Um, I really liked the shorter episode length. I feel like there's such a trend right now where like seasons have to be like mini movies or mini series. So I was relieved when it was 25 minutes each because it kept it brisk. I thought there was enough done for each character and there was still just like this really nice cohesive thread through all of them where it like, it left you wanting more like, oh my gosh, it's already over next one, you know, uh, which is part of the fun of binging. Um, so I, I really Binge. liked honestly the length and yeah, it's just so gorgeous to look at, especially like David's like enhancement, how they animated that in particular. I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. I just really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, not quite my favorite, I think though, because the tone also didn't quite, it's a lot more lighthearted than the stuff I'm used to watching, but that is strictly preference. Um, and by a lot more, I mean, it's still pretty gritty and bloody and dark and sad, but um, yeah, it's, those are, those are kind of my overall thoughts. Yeah. It, and it's how you're handling the thematic undertones, right? This kind of takes those thematic undertones and it immediately pivots as where you have other shows that that kind of have these very deep personal stories that are so like affecting to the viewer that like you kind of sit there and sulk on it for a little bit. And I feel yeah. like this show takes that and it immediately pivots. So it has those elements. It just doesn't stick with them as long. Although um, I'm, I'm going to try not to spoil too much of the show, but I will say there is a particular like shot pattern that they keep coming back to throughout the whole entire series. That is, that was the one part of the show that actually got to me like a lot. And, uh, and, and so like you have those small, like micro moments almost in a 25 minute episode where you see kind of those connective threads. But I agree with you in the sense that like, for a show like this, the episode length of under 30 minutes works so well. Um, you know, like on streaming platforms, when you're having these long form shows, let's say like a uh, like an Apple TV, the morning show or um, like some of Netflix's more grandiose shows that are more so dramas than they are spectacles. I feel like viewership drops off very fast just with the amount of content and the breadth of content that you can actually find on platforms like that. And so when you're talking about this, it's very easy for someone to sit down and in two nights complete the whole entire series and talk about it the next day. And it totally makes sense. And if the story doesn't warrant like a whole 50 minute episode spanning across 24 episodes in a season, then it doesn't need that. And we shouldn't do that. We should we should only do what the story permits us to do, right? The story that they're telling here is they dive into what I love uh, about the game in the sense that there are all these different elements that are kind of going on concurrently within the world. The thing that they really choose to focus on is cyber psychosis in the show and their depiction of it is much different than in the game. But I think it's it's important to acknowledge that the show takes all of those thematic threads that we know from the game, and it kind of finds a cool, unique way to animate them. So like the cyberpsychosis, for instance, probably the most notable example of that in the sense that there's a very physical manifestation of the cyberpsychosis and how that's affecting people. And you see it, and you can and you can literally pinpoint it. So unlike in the game where they tell you, oh, you know, that guy's cyber psycho, you actually see it and you see the the change occur. 
And uh, that was so like important to me. Uh, after watching it, it wasn't something that I even thought that they would touch on. But the fact that they were able to bring that to like a physical manifestation was really cool. And then, you know, you also have the point um, that they incorporate a lot of not necessarily Easter eggs, um, some Easter eggs, certainly, uh, but they bring in things that are familiar to us um, from the games. So those of us that have actually played the games, the literal map <laughs> is shown a few times uh, when they're discussing different locations. Um, so those of you who just recently have played it are going to be able to pinpoint exactly where things are occurring, which is really cool. And then one of the the things that um, I found most compelling actually was the music. They brought in a lot of the music that you can find on the radio stations as you're driving in the world. No way. Which is I really thought the cool. soundtrack was really good. Honestly. It is. I really liked it. And so, like, I think in one of the last episodes, they have a church's song. And I don't remember the church's song being in the game. However, there are, like, uh, major crimes as one of the songs. And they actually have that playing in the background um, during certain scenes. And it was really cool because I downloaded that soundtrack. I mean, and they kept releasing, like, different volumes because there are different radio stations. And all of it's unique music to cyberpunk. So they kind of pulled from a variety of different like volumes to basically infuse that music into the show. So it was just another way of, of connecting those worlds. And then we have to talk about it. Obviously the, like the quest portion of, um, of edge runners is present in night city in the game. So there's a whole like quest centered around our protagonist and, uh, it's really heartfelt. And, um, it's kind of minor, so don't go in expecting that it's going to be a whole like hour long quest or anything like that. It's pretty, it's pretty low key. But the fact that with that Edge Runners patch, they just kind of threw that in there. It was a nice touch. It really was. I feel like we're able to incorporate that, and it's so interesting because like I haven't played the games, and like there's so many. I didn't feel like it was bogged down with over exposition for sure, but I definitely did feel like I was a little bit on the out. For sure. It's really neat to see how like differently it hit for you and the things that you noticed because you played the game and like honestly just had like a fuller enjoyment of the show, quite frankly, it seems like. Like we should talk about the lingo because they use a lot of it. That was something that really that really almost hit me wrong for like the first couple episodes. And I was like, okay, no, it's it, it kind of broke the suspension of disbelief for yeah. me for a little bit. Right. What? And as someone that's played the game, like all of that lingo felt very weird at first too. But then as you play the game, it becomes normalized. So me going into the show, I already had that that barrier kind of broken. But right. someone like you who who literally like maybe wasn't as invested into the world as um, someone who had played the tabletop game or had played the video game. Like, yeah, like all that lingo, like net runners and all, and all that other stuff, it's going to confuse people. Um, and so one of my big things about the show was I was worried at how it would hit with the general audience just in the sense of engagement. And I think to the point that we made earlier, the shorter like episode lengths probably help that a lot because if you had 50 minutes of just lingo this, lingo that, ling you know, I don't think it would probably work as well. Yeah, it's I find it really interesting. Like it's obviously done very well um, with both critics and audiences. The top three are all based on video games. Like it's Castlevania, Arcane, and Edge Runners. Um, although I will say as big of an arcane fan as I am, I was not motivated enough to download League of Legends. <laughs> I would like to say that as a character caveat. Um, 
I, I don't know, I find that really interesting, but like a really cool way of tying in that like deep fan base for another media forum, kind of like we talked about last week. Yeah. And it's really cool to see it too. Cause you know, you take, well, okay. So, and with cyberpunk too, it didn't only start as a video game. It started as a tabletop game, right? So you have to talk about the transition from the tabletop game that Mike Pondsmith created to Mike Pondsmith basically producing and, and consulting with CD project red to develop cyberpunk 2077, which is most of where everyone jumped on board. Right. Um, there are I had very no f- idea it was a tabletop game. Yeah, there are very few people that know that. And so Mike Pondsmith created that original tabletop game. And then, like I said, he helped develop the project with CD Projekt Red. And, uh, and it became a video game that was so widely discussed because of how long that they were, how long they were cooking that game. Um, because that game, like, I, I don't even remember which E3 it was where they showed that first teaser, but they had already been working on it for like three or four years prior to that. And so Keanu was, Reeves was in and, it. I mean, right. that, was a, that was a big deal. <laughs> that was a big deal. Uh, and that was kind of like in that Keanu resurgence. I mean, it already had started to happen with John Wick, but then you introduced like Keanu Reeves into the mainline right. story. And that still is probably one of my favorite parts of the game too. Just uh, his commentary. Like I just put out uh, a video recently, actually diving back into cyberpunk. And uh, you can find that on the YouTube channel at uh, youtube.com slash the burr review, shameless plug. And uh, that video like has a lot of those interactions with his character um, and your main protagonist that you play is in the game. And it hit me just how, how much the game and the anime are similar because before when I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, well, the anime is a little bit more fast paced, obviously, because of the pacing of the show. But at the same time, like it hits all the major points that the video game is is working with. Um, so it was masterfully done. You know, it feels a lot more exaggerated than even the video game does. But there is something to be said about the exaggeration of this world specifically, because you have people literally modding their skeleton like that's come on. Right. But like they take that and they use it so effectively in what they're trying to do that um, it just works. Uh, And so I had really positive thoughts uh, about the game and about the anime. Um, Not at first. Keep in mind, like the game at first, like really threw me for a loop. Uh, I wasn't as invested as some other people, even people that I had talked to, not my console friends. They were completely done with it at launch. But uh, but the people that were playing on PC that I that I watched and listened to like were having a pretty okay time, and so was I until I hit about the eighteen hour mark, and then it started to go downhill with the bugs for me. And so I was like, I'm going to come back to this when they you know when they put it through a and few patches okay. through. Yeah, yeah, and they have, and so I came back to it, and uh, and the fact that the anime has it seems like almost universally like rallied everyone back into the game is quite funny. We should probably talk about the amount of players that are back on Cyberpunk because it's massive. And when we talk about a resurgence, you know, this happened with The Witcher 3 too, where you had The Witcher release on Netflix and then, you know, everyone started funneling back into that game. Did you ever get back into the game after the show released? I did, actually. I'm pretty sure that I bought both of the DLCs for The Witcher 3 shortly after the first live-action season had dropped. Um, it's It was kind of like a $70 companion piece to kind of enrich 
this story and fill the hole in my heart after I got done. Um, it's like, I don't know, honestly, I think it's like a really cool marketing technique um, that this feedback loop between Netflix and these video game places have, but clearly it's working. Um, and it's just a really neat way to keep going back in and exploring more stories and more stories that are original, I would say for sure. Um, as opposed to kind of like the tired out franchise stories, like, you know, like, oh yeah, this guy in the background, now he gets his own story, you know, but he's still connected to all your favorite characters, you know, for like Star Wars or even Lord of the Rings with the newest thing, I would say kind of falls into that a little bit too much. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it, I think it works well. And and yeah, I definitely went back to, to The Witcher 3 just because I was like, okay, I, I missed that soundtrack. I listened to those like ambiance videos like from like mm-hmm. Skellige and those different regions and stuff. It's a great studying music, guys, just FYI. I know at this point you've heard a lot about our website, theburrreviews.com, but I wanted to share some of the content that you can expect from us in case you missed it. On our site, you'll find podcasts, movie reviews, opinion articles, feature content, and more covering all types of cinema. If you're looking for a review of your latest project, we got you covered. Simply search theburrreviews.com in your web browser and you'll find us. As a company currently residing in Nebraska, we know how hard it can be to get your message out to the world and we are there to help. Find our contact page on our website and fill out the form you'll be able to find a list of submission guidelines on the page, but note that not every submission will be accepted, mainly due to time restrictions, but we welcome all types of motion pictures, short films, and music videos. So what are you waiting for? Head over to the site now and check it out. The Burr Reviews, your movie refuge. One thing that I think the anime show does really well, they... They have a character that's in the game, and that character is an antagonist, certainly. Uh, the character is Adam Smasher, and they they do bring Adam Smasher in just briefly, but it's the briefest thing, and there's not as much focus on it, so it feels very much natural to the story, and kind of letting those characters like forge their own path rather than bringing in a character to kind of that we all are familiar with just to disrupt everything. Um, they don't necessarily do that with adam smasher which i think is a brilliant move on their part um so the the steam count currently for concurrent players is hovering right around like eighty thousand people at any given time wow which is impressive when you're talking about a game that i think a month ago had only like a couple thousand people playing at any given time and now we're all the way back up to 80 i think it peaked uh over the last few days at 100 and something thousand players um not to mention uh cyberpunk 2077 had sold 13 million copies at launch uh just in april they were at a threshold of around 18 i believe and now we have over 20 just in the short span of a few months um there have been millions more copies sold and i'm not attributing that all to the game or all to the anime but what i will say is that certainly the people that had already purchased the game are picking it back up and right. that's important. And, you know, I think CD Projekt Red, even even while The Witcher 3 released to kind of negative press because of the state of the game, same thing with Cyberpunk, but to a definite worse effect. I think that at the end of the day, they do believe in making good content and making original stories and seeing that project through all the way. They didn't need to make another patch. 
they could have said no one's playing it anyway so we're just going to cut it which they kind of did with the there's supposed to be like multiplayer um mm-hmm. in cyberpunk 2077 that we're not going to see the light of day in um at all but i think it's important that they still continue to work to make the game better and to fix those bugs and performance issues that the game had um for future fans that are playing it because there are a decent minority of people that watched the anime show and are now playing the game because of that so they picked it up afterwards um and it's a much better state i like i envy that experience um not having all of the issues at launch you know and being like oh hey this game's pretty rad you didn't see it when it was first released so (laughs) you're not a true fan no jared's Um, an og you guys heard it here first (laughs) right i found uh so i saw um powell sasco he was the quest director for cyberpunk 2077 gave an interview um kind of just like sharing his like how uh, sad he was obviously crushed that their entire development team felt when the game did release so poorly but you know they clearly they didn't get enough credit I feel like for the work that they did put in and like you said they've continued to continuously work on it to make it better to continuously um pour in that passion and that attention to detail that we really like about CD Projekt Red games um Yeah, um, I'm really interested to see if they'll continue to, like, I feel like they had, just from what I've heard from other players, that they had a really interesting, like, thought experiment on identity going, but, like, playable. I'd love to see, like, have they released another DLC for it? Is there, like, continuous talk for it? I'm not sure. I'm not even on the the game for, for the console and stuff. Yeah, there there is. Uh, I know of. I think. Um, oh man, it's called the Lady Liberty or something. Uh, yeah. There's a whole other separate DLC that's coming uh, with patch 1.7, I believe, is what they're talking about right now in this state. Um, and that patch is supposed to be not as expansive as this one, but it it will add more to the story than the performance of the game itself. So this patch 1.6 was specifically for kind of tying edge runners and 2077 together and also fixing you know the last remaining few major problems that they had with performance the next one is going to be more so of your expanded dlc uh i'm not sure about plans thereafter and right now they're talking about that dlc being released in 2023 um probably my guess and they haven't said this officially but my guess would be we're looking sometime before quarter three so anytime in the first half of the year essentially i think is when we're gonna hit that sweet spot of patch uh 1.7 and uh the new dlc and i'm excited to see what they do i don't i don't know how many hours it's supposed to be i don't know what they're aiming for all that information is kind of hearsay at this point but i am curious to know what they're going to do with it in the future what i'm more curious about is after all of this do you think that they're going to green light a season two of edge runners I was just going to ask you the same thing because I am curious. I I would hope that it wouldn't just stop as like a really flashy game trailer, you know, in the form of a season one of of a really cool anime. I think it deserves better, quite frankly. So I I hope that they will greenlight season two. But they did not greenlight season two so far as of yet today, end of September 2022. Um, The second season of Sandman, which was phenomenal so i i don't know i have this netflix studio has kind of caused a rift with me i I don't know if they they trust some of their good work right now yeah well there's a whole conversation about uh 
letting the like feeding the algorithm right like right and right. what you offer to the algorithm and what you cut out uh for the algorithm and um it it seems like the show's doing really well though like it's got positive press all around i mean you're talking about just phenomenal like critic and audience scores so you know right right now it's sitting somewhere at like a 98% audience score and um i'm not sure if it's still at a 100% on the tomato meter for critics but there are only 9 reviews on the data that i have so that's not necessarily to be trusted but what that does indicate is that that's an aggregate score so that basically the audience score on rotten tomatoes reads as 100% of the critics would recommend seeing edge runners it doesn't mean that they gave it a 10 out of 10 or anything like that it just means that yeah you should check this out um and i have the same consensus but you look at other shows uh like um let's see here so julian the phantoms you know uh has a 93 percent with critics 98 audience score you have arcane 100 percent critics and 96 percent audience score um so it seems like they do have some what of a hit here and I, what I would love to see, and this is complete speculation, but I would love to see a different story. I would love to make a cyberpunk anthology. And I think they have the opportunity to do that right here, right now, that would where be it's short microburst of stories that are just kind of, you can, you can tie some of them in together. That's fine. I don't think they exclusively need to be tied into one another, but I think just exploring different parts of night city and why not go outside of night city? You know, why not expand? There's, all of North America, basically, um, that you can you can go to, and e- even you know what what's twenty seventy seven like in Japan? What's twenty seventy seven like in Europe? You know, it would be really cool to take like basically like a cyberpunk branded like Love, Death, and Robots, which is a, another one of my favorite Netflix shows. Like, I feel like that could work really well. I, I hope they did that too. Honestly, that would be really awesome. Yeah, I've just thought about it because I think it's really one of the only ways that they can move forward. Because I think. I know you haven't seen it yet, but I think the way they the way they end things in this show, it really kind of puts a bow ear. on everything. Okay. No, it just it they don't necessarily I mean, y- you have options to move forward with the story if you want it, but I don't think that ending demands it. Like it doesn't demand yeah. it. Like it, it's very it's a very clean finish. And uh I, I hope that they just leave it there. We right. talked about it earlier in the episode in the news bit. But you have Hugh Jackman coming back for for another Wolverine round right. and like and having it's like, to come back for like a like an explanatory video which I feel like is never a good look like if you have to do another Instagram video the next day just be like hey guys you know just FYI this doesn't mess with Logan or continuity and oh my gosh did you see that Chris Evans tweet about the Lightyear movie just like this is an origin story about the character mm-hmm. in Toy Story and it was just like oh my gosh it's painful it's painful yeah. guys <laughs> it is it is but I think that also speaks to the greater fandom and where we're at with the MCU specifically and what what Marvel has done which is made everything dependent on another film like films can't exist on their own right now like and that's a right. problem like that really is a that I see when we talk about the death of cinema and whatnot, and it's completely metaphorical. That is the death of cinema. Like the fact that we have to do X, Y, and Z for a story, and we can't just do X and leave it at that, is ridiculous to me. And sure, you can make the argument there are wonderful like original properties right now that are totally warranted with extra content. I just saw Pearl, loved it, loved every second of Pearl. 
do I think that uh, Maxine needs to be made? No. Uh, am I totally glad that it's being made? Yes. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, what I hear a lot in fandom is, well, they did this, so now they should do this. And they right. should, you know, tie everything back together. And I think that that's a, a dangerous, like, slippery slope that we're going down right now. And unfortunately, the box office seems to be rewarding that kind of work. So, Right, right. It's it's an almost guaranteed viewership for, for the mm-hmm. next property. And it's painful because you can't even have one singular Marvel story come out where there's not like a speculation on what happens in the next movies because of this, you know, mm-hmm. like, and I still think they could do amazing things, but I think one of my, and my favorite so far of phase four was definitely Shang-Chi because I just felt like it's, it was such a good standalone thing. You know, I'm sure if you looked super into it, which I didn't, you know, there was things that tied it to other films, but I, I really liked how well it's done. And so on. I mean, there's the obvious one, Wong. Wong oh, shows yeah. up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's right. That's true. But if you didn't know, and you just went in and watched that movie, you know, you'd, it'd, it'd be great. And what a great way to tie tie Wong into that story too, because it feels like very natural. It doesn't feel like he's forced in there as much as right. like some some of the other times that he's popped up over Phase Four. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you on Shang Chi. Yeah, no, it just I hope that they're able to take this property and they're able to make it something special. And if they want to leave it at just one season, go for it. I'm all for it. Like having that be what it is and then leaving it there, fine. I think there is an opportunity to really grow your world, though. Uh, If you want to kind of gear up for more of like a franchise, then you need to kind of capitalize on that success. So uh, I'll be curious to see what CD Projekt does with it. Um, But yeah, that I mean, do you have any other thoughts on Cyberpunk Edge Runners? Give it a watch. I think it's worth it. And I'm excited for the ending. I I like clean endings, so um, I'm, I'm excited to finish it. Yeah, no, you'll I think I think you'll like where it goes and kind of where it lands uh, it felt very natural, which I can't say for a lot of shows these day uh, right. these days, specifically uh, like any any Disney show basically just right. goes completely off the rails at the end. For or me, even almost like, every time. did you watch The Gray Man on Netflix? No, all? I have not. Not yet. Oh, my gosh. That might have been one of my favorite movies of the year until they ended it like there was absolutely fabulous banter between ryan gosling and chris evans like i was living for it like that's what and like the russo brothers directed it excellent action sequences very very Mm. fun um but like it it had like a bit of like a return of the king ending we're just like ah nope not quite yet okay no this is the ending and then it keeps going because they were teeing up like future franchises and i honestly think it kind of not quite ruin the movie because I'd totally still watch it again, but it was a serious detriment to it. So I wasn't sure if you'd, if you'd seen that one before. So if I'm glad Netflix didn't do it in this particular. Yeah. I kept seeing the, uh, the firework like fight clip. The firework like, fight was nuts. I kept seeing that circulate around. I, they are making extraction two with Chris Hemsworth. I didn't see the first one, but I did yeah. see the behind the scenes clip with that. And apparently that was also a really good Netflix action movie, but they're just producing so much. And like yeah. every week that we sit down to do the podcast and I'm reading off like what's new to release, you know, I'm like Netflix, 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 Netflix. And it's like, right. I great. I love the, I love the ambition, right. Of releasing something every single day in the year. But like at, at a certain point, it, it just becomes way too much. Like I can't keep up. And then when you're releasing things and you're dropping it all at once, that doesn't always work with every show. I know we just said that, you know, 
for this particular move or for this particular show that we were reviewing, yeah, it, it totally worked with it. Sometimes the story warrants more of a kind of communal watch and and I, letting people catch up and letting people follow a story over the course of several weeks sometimes is way more effective than dropping it all at once. Um, personally, I think that they would do really well with a Stranger Things uh, weekly release. They're not doing it. They're gonna they're gonna yeah. drop it all at once again. But I think that, that is their opportunity. A show of that caliber is where you hold your audience for months. You know, every week you're tuning in, and it kind of creates this kind of viewership base uh, where you can actually expand your breadth of content. And you don't have to drop things every day. Anyway. My little rant. Uh, <laughs> yeah, great show. Give it a watch. We have a few notable things releasing on all formats this weekend for your entertainment. First off, we're kicking this segment off with Blonde. It is the new Netflix movie starring Ana de Armas, uh, and it centers around a fictionalized version of Marilyn Monroe's life and the end of it all. Uh, it's really unfortunate. That is released on Netflix, like I said. And then we also have Hell's Kitchen season 21, uh, which is premiering actually tonight, the day that this podcast releases on Fox, so you can go check that out. And then finally, we have Hocus Pocus 2 releasing this weekend, which is on Disney Plus, and you can see that on Friday, September 30th. And we neglected to mention it last episode, but Ghost Files, the new show from Watcher Entertainment from Shane Madea and Ryan Vergara, is on episode two now, so you can watch that this Friday. Apparently, they're covering Alcatraz, which I think is really cool and really fun. For theatrical releases, we have Billy Eichner's Bros, uh, and then we also have Smile. Also on Netflix is Scott Miscuddy's Intergalactic, which is the complete season one experience, which tackles music and drama and animation. It's all packaged into one tightly knit season that I can't wait for everyone to watch. For video games, don't fret because Life is Strange Remastered Collection is available for all Switch players today. So if you want to dive back into the world of Life is Strange, which me and Megan have talked about on the podcast, uh, you can do so on Switch. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Into the Burrow podcast. Uh, we have a few new things over on patreon.com slash Reviews. Two new shows for patrons exclusively, one being Reddit Stories, which is where we, the Burr Reviews, um, could be me, could be Ren, could be anyone really, sit down and we pull some Reddit stories from the deep dark web and we discuss things like movies, TV, Anything that people on Reddit have talked about, we're going to dive into that could be a good or a bad thing. And then the other thing, we have a film commentary for Halloween 1978 coming your way over on patreon.com slash the Burr Reviews as well for our executive producer tier. And that will be exactly what it sounds like. It'll just be an audio format of me breaking down basically any given movie every month. And so if that's some... Um, so if that sounds like something that interests you, feel free to go ahead and check that out over on Patreon. And uh, as far as everything else goes, yeah, you should tap. <clears throat> you should totally go see Pearl. Um, all of the reviews that were like, oh, Technicolor this, Technicolor that, and they were kind of throwing the word Technicolor around. They weren't lying, let me tell you. Um, it opens like a Technicolor movie and it ends like a Technicolor movie. And uh, everything in the middle, you know, you have some 
beautiful swatches of like horror in there but for the most part it does feel very in line with the golden age of hollywood and all of the technicolor spectacle that existed during that time period um magic of the movies if you will it really seems like ty west understands what he's doing with this trilogy is more than just making a horror trilogy and it really speaks to film and hollywood itself in a in a way that is so unique to that franchise that I haven't seen executed like that before. Because, yeah, at the end of the day, like, yeah, sure, there's gore, there's blood, there's death. But the first one was about making a movie and what that entailed. And this one very much is aspiring uh, to the movies, aspiring for cinema, aspiring for storytelling and all the beautiful things that it can achieve. Um, And so I I really do encourage people to go out and check that out while it's still in theaters. With all that down and out of the way, we will see everyone in the next episode of the Into the Burrow podcast right here next week on Thursday. So until then, have a good weekend.